You got it, girl. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Over My Dead Pod. This is episode one. My name is Kate Carter. I'm Kylie Colwell. And I'm Holly Spear. And this is a comedy murder podcast. Um, we're going to be going over stories of murders that have happened across the country, across the world. Um, and just to reiterate, this is a murder comedy, meaning we take things very lightheartedly. Um, in no sense are we trying to shame victims, um, more so shame the attackers and the murderers. So let's just go ahead and get started. Um, to give you guys a little bit of background, we are three best friends who met uh, in law school. Over we, we got passionate over crime and um, not us in particular, but seeing others do crime. Um, and we decided to start a podcast. It's, it's, it's been our dream for a few years and here we are. So good morning, ladies. How are you guys today? Great. I'm ready. Tired. For those who don't know, we actually, um, you can't see us, but we're all in three different places. So we're meeting on Zoom. Um, This is Kate Carter and I'm in Florida, but I'm on the East Coast of Florida. And I'm Kylie and I'm on the West Coast of Florida. And I'm Holly and I'm in Arkansas. Arkansas! (laughs) Woo pigs! Yep. So, uh, I'm going to go first and we're just going to jump right in. Um, We're going to dig in, if you don't mind me saying. So this week's first episode ever. We're going to jump right in. Um, Uh, Kylie, there's a good chance that we may know this one. You guys may not. Um, But feel free to ask questions. Just tell us. What is it? All right. So as original, I am from North Carolina. And this week, I'm going to be doing my first murder of my hometown story of John Alexander Lawson, a.k.a. Pazuzu Alligard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Holly, do you know it? Mm-mm. Do you know, know who it. Pazuzu is, uh, Holly? No, I don't know Pazuzu. All oh, right, we'll yeah. buckle in and be ready for a story. So <clears throat> John Alexander Lawson was born in August 12th, 1978, and he was born in San Francisco, California. So he's an only child to his parents, Timothy and Cynthia Lawson. But after his birth, their whole family packed up and moved across the country from San Fran to Clemens, North Carolina. So back in the 1990s, when John was about 10 to 12 years old, his father filed divorce, moved back to California, and then really had no relationship with his son anymore. So John grew up without a father, as as you would probably say. There's not much information out there about John's early years, and that's not because he was never talked about during his childhood or that there aren't facts about his childhood, but John tended to reinvent his life story to every person that he met. So what we know about him could be lies, could be truth, um, but the rest of the story, we're going to hear from a few different persons' perspectives. Um, And so that way we've gotten the truth after all these years. So let's just jump right in. Eight years later, in 1998, John's mom, Cynthia, Cynthia is going to be a big name. So keep this in mind. She remarried a man named Johnny James. And for a period, the three of them all lived together in a house in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, my hometown. Um, This house we're going to call Knob Hill Drive. 
that's the street that it was named after on. Um, and this is kind of located on the outskirts of Clemens. For people that don't know, Winston-Salem is a larger town now, but back in the 1990s, it was still small and upgrowing. It's more, um, it's definitely urban and there's tons of people, but here and there you've got farmland, people have animals. It is very, um, Winston-Salem's got a huge Christian popu population. And so when John and his family and his mom, Cynthia, moved to Winston-Salem, it was noticed pretty quickly, their presence, um, but not really in a good way that you would imagine. So let's talk about what we do know about John's childhood. He spent a lot of time alone. Um, and like others his age, at some point, he did find a fascination with magic. Um, I would like to say that we all did at a young age, but he, <laughs> Wait, it, no, but okay. <laughs> no, I loved magic. Were you what a you, space kid, Holly? A no. rock, a rock kid. I was. What did you? No, I didn't have. You, you didn't collect rocks. No, did you well, no, actually, I did collect rocks. I guess I made mud pies. I don't know. Okay, I, I didn't do that. So. Did magic. you eat your mud pies? No. Oh, eat right. I, did, I baked. I was them, into though. magic. And most children, I'll say, were intrigued by magic. But in John's case, to bring him back in. He used magic as a gateway to witchcraft and black magic, which we will get into later. Um, in middle school, John began telling all of his classmates he had special powers and often attempted to create chaos on a daily basis. So John's peers were predominantly Christian families. And so the thought of a child ranting about Satan and black magic at school definitely caused discomfort in this small town of Winston-Salem. But now remember, John was an only child. He didn't have any siblings to play with and or to look towards for guidance. You know, he didn't have an older brother or anything. And his parents weren't really around. His dad is back in California. His mom remarried. Um, and John had a hard time making friends. So really, the only thing that gave him joy was his dark and very strange hobbies. Um, so now we're going to move fast forward to high school. John dropped out after freshman year. So he never completed high school. Half of the reason for dropping out is because he hated learning in general, which I feel like we all did in high school. But then the other half was he had a fear of his life outside of his home. So, and I, I had to do my research on this because I didn't really understand what it meant. Um, Are, you talking, gonna get it, Are you talking about like, a, was it agoraphobia? So we're going to get into it in a, in a hot second, uh, okay. but there's medical terms for what happened. Um, so there were times that John would get physically sick when even thinking about leaving his home. And often at the age of 14 and 15, he was drinking a 12 pack of beer daily in the morning to reduce his anxiety. What's up, Kylie? Um, just kidding. <laughs> She's not an alcoholic. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, please dis disclaimer. Just put it, put her on blast. Uh, so he would drink a whole pack of beers in the morning to reduce his anxiety in order to just leave the house. So at that time in his high school career, he, there was also dead animals showing up all over the place. Um, and as as murderinos know, not a good sign when dead animals, that is red flag, Number horrible. Um, and now looking back, people were able to say that he was definitely practicing torture on these animals um, because he would use them as religious sacrifices to his black magic. But despite having any education, his horrible lack of social skills, 
and um, problems, his mom, Cynthia, always said, even to this day, well, we'll get to that part, but that he was never a bad person. She often said that her and her son never argued and that she considered him part of her like protector. Um, but when he got older, Cynthia no longer could disregard or put down the fact that her son had mental health issues. So this is where we begin into his medical history. She started taking John to go see medical professionals. And in turn, at some point, he was diagnosed with agoraphobic. So agoraphobic is what Kylie mentioned earlier. And I didn't know this. So I had to do, I had to do my research on it. But agoraphobic is a fear of being in situations where escape might be difficult or if help is needed, it wouldn't be able to come. So basically he had a fear of being stuck um, mm. or not being able to get out of situations. But not only was he diagnosed with agoraphobic, but he also was diagnosed as a schizophrenic, which we know major red flags and psychotic, which that's just as bad as you can probably get. He got um, the triple whammy. Yeah, he, it, he just got the worst of the worst. So they were told that the family was told that because of these mental issues, he would need treatment for life. But because Cynthia was now a single mother, um, having divorced for the second time and living on a minimum salary, she only cared for his mental health issues for a few years, but discontinued treatment because of money issues. Um, now, there is another side to the story. So we hear that Cynthia can't afford medical treatment, blah, 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 for her son, who mm-hmm. is who is in high school at this point by the time he's ever treated for anything. So a friend of the family stated that John had mental health issues and violent behaviors, but it was all because of Cynthia, his mom. The friend said that Cynthia had her own alcohol issues. She was drunk every day and she would allow random people to come babysit John by themselves. So another red flag, we know that Children should never be babysat by people they don't know or feel comfortable with. And that in occasions, we don't know if this happened, but issues can arise with strangers taking care of kids. Um, And that can lead to horrific things for the future as well. But then again, we don't know if that happened. Mm. So Cynthia, the mom, she never got her life under control. And because of that, her kid couldn't either. Remember, it's just the two of them in this Knob Creek Hill house or Knob Hill house. Sorry. So nevertheless, Cynthia couldn't pay for the treatments. John's life became the spiral. They lived together in the same house. So we're going to jump now ahead a few years. So we're going to go to 2002. John was 24. John, at 24 years old, legally decided to change his name to Pazuzu Alligard. Red flag. Red flag. Uh, so he stated in court documents that his name changed from John Alexander Lawson to Pazuzu Alligard said was for religious reasons. And you can do that. You can absolutely do that. But for those who don't know, Pazuzu stems from the movie, which was originally a novel, The Exorcist. Um, the name Pazuzu is the name of a demon in that movie. And so Pazuzu is... I think he's the captor of the underworld. He's capable of horrific destruction. And in the movie, he possesses a 12-year-old girl and wreaks havoc. So that's where the name came from. 
from now on, I will be calling Jane, I mean, John Pazuzu, because now his name is Pazuzu. So he was, he was just foreshadowing what was to come. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, sounds about right. So the family friend who we spoke about earlier um, said that when she used to babysit Pazuzu, he would always want to watch horror movies. And so even at 10 years old, he would be saying that his favorite movie is A Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, how many red flags do you need in a child or in a family? So, I think anyway. I'm starting to think he should have been like exercised. A hundred percent. Well, he probably had mental health issues since he was born. And to only have those figured out when you're like 18, can you imagine being schizophrenic alone, you know? But then to have the other ones too? No. No bueno. No bueno. His mom, you know, mommy issues. Yeah. And daddy issues. Daddy was never around. Yeah. You don't have any siblings to bully you. You might get into magic black magic yeah black magic so i'm gonna start i'm gonna call him pazuzu from here on so in addition to the name change pazuzu also big red flag he stopped bathing Mm -hmm. and at one point he decided to he said he stopped cleaning his teeth but at one point he filed his teeth down to points and he was smoking meth filing people's teeth down including his own and he said that personal hygiene stripped the body of its defenses. Um, that's just, I don't have anything to say about that, but we don't like the stinky people. So Pazuzu claimed that he could control weather. And while still residing at that Knob Hill Drive house, he decided to create his own religion as well. So this religion is a mix of, uh, and I'm probably going to say this completely wrong, but Luciferianism. So the religion of Luciferianism Mm. and Islam, two completely, completely different religions and they're very strong religions as they are on their own, but completely opposites. So Pazuzu often wore a turban, but at the same time had large tattoos all over his body and including one written on his arm right here that read Satan. Uh, so he, he also tattooed Nazi symbols all over his body, a demon all over his body. The number 666 could be found included on his face and Lucifer. Um, but yeah, he still wore a turban and practiced the religion of Islam as well. So many people doubted that back in the 2000s, Pazuzu was never actually religious. Um, he just wanted people to feel uncomfortable because Just reminding you, Winston-Salem in the early 2000s, late 1990s, was a Christian society, and early 2000s is when 9-11 happened. So imagine seeing a fully tattooed guy with razor-sharp teeth, have Satan written all over him, and also wearing a turban in Winston-Salem. My parents probably shot their pants if they saw him, (laughs) you know, like they, they would have been terrified to see that walking around our country rural town. No, my mom would have shoved me in the car. She would have been like, we're going. Yeah. Yeah. So around 2006, Pazuzu was about 28 years old at this time. He was again treated for mental health and substance abuse issues, including meth. Um, We know that meth is a no-go, a no-touchy, 
we don't even go go to meth. That is no bueno. Don't even try it once. Okay, it's not going to be good. Um, you're going to get addicted, and then at some point, you're going to sharpen your teeth down to razors. With that, can you imagine how painful that is? Oh, um, how do you eat? I mean, I guess meat. well. I don't I know. Meat. Yeah, <laughs> I guess well. I, maybe even better than you normally would eat. He oh, wouldn't yeah. need. He wouldn't need any knives. Right at all. He could just he rip would, stuff with his teeth. He wouldn't even need his back teeth, really. I mean, which just... we'll get to. Uh, we'll get to ripping of teeth in a bit. But oh. during this time, in at around twenty-eight years old, Bazuzu was put on prescription meds for all of his mental disorders. But he decided to stop taking Thank all God. of them. He stopped taking all of them immediately. Oh, okay. Because Oops. it made him feel like a zombie. That's that's like my dog Fenley. If I over medicate him on CBD, he feels like a zombie just walking around the house. I get that, but as a human, if you have mental disorders and issues, to stop taking all of them at the exact same time, you know a downward spiral is going to happen. Um, at the same point, Pazuzu was diagnosed along with those three things that I said earlier. He also had panic disorder, social phobia, don't we all, and <laughs> alcohol dependence. He also, on top of the agro, uh, agrophobic, the schizophrenic, and the psychotic diagnosis. But the thing is, is all psychiatrists that he would go to and the mental hospitals that he would go to, they never diagnosed him fully with psychosis because they assumed that Pazuzu's like, thoughts and beliefs and what he would say was just related to his satanic beliefs. Um, and having that satanic religion, it's hard to differentiate, at least back in the day, early 2000s, whether or not he was talking about reality or whether he was talking about reality through his religion, if that makes sense. you know. Because remember, he believed in Satan. Um, and Islam still don't understand that. Let's talk about his religion. So he practiced a Sumerian religion. Now, I didn't know what this is, had to go look it up. Very interesting. Sumerian comes from the word Sumer, which is the earliest known civilization of the world. Um, so this is the first religion that people ever created. He practiced that. For someone who dropped out of high school so early, he sure did know a lot. <laughs> like, we didn't drop out of high school and we didn't know that shit. Like I had to Google all this stuff because I was like, wow, he really went back to the basics. So the first ever civilization known to man had their own religion, um, Sumerian. And that was, that is what he, Pazuzu practiced. Um, so what Sumerian included is every month they did a dark moon sacrifice. Um, and this is where his early childhood animal sacrifices come in hand. So they once a month would do an animal sacrifice as a satanic ritual. And it was always done at the Knob Hill Drive. I can't say the, I keep saying the name wrong. Uh, at the Winston-Salem house, okay? <laughs> the animal sacrifices took place. But for years, he did this inside the family home. And Cynthia, his mother, was always in the home. Cynthia never left. Pazuzu and Cynthia, his mom, always lived together. So just keep that in mind. Little mommies at home while you're killing animals and preaching them to whatever God he thought was up there. So while his mom was aware, she never interfered with any of the religious ceremonies because she was afraid that if she told him to stop, he would hurt himself. 
Um, so he was very self-destructive. But while Pazuzu wanted to be feared in his community, and people were genuinely afraid of him in Winston-Salem, there were some people who flocked to him. And this is all crazy. You know, like it's, this happens. Some crazy people have big followings. We've seen that in history. So some of these people considered themselves to be followers of Pazuzu, and they often came to his house in Winston-Salem and lived with him because it was a free reign territory. That means there were no rules and no judgment. So he allowed anyone to follow their darkest impulses, which in return turned out to be whatever they wanted to in this house. So he was also very popular among women. Um, and I'll get into it later and I'll show you a picture. But growing up, he was a cutie. I'm not going to lie to you. His high school freshman year picture he definitely looked a little emo, but if he had gotten a haircut or something, he was cute. And then the next year, he was fully touted in Santanic stuff. So it was definitely a hit or miss with the ladies, but he at some point ended up having multiple fiancés. So one of these fiancés was named Amber Birch. Let's get into Amber. Amber and Pazuzu said in 2009 that they were married on Facebook because, you know, Facebook back then was the source of Facebook truth. official. Okay. Yeah. So they said that they were married. They never legally were married though. Okay. So Amber was from Rock Hill, South Carolina, and that's only about an hour from where Pazuzu lived. She had just graduated, graduated from high school. Um, and at some point after high school, when she met Pazuzu, she immediately became distanced from her friends and family. So she started following everything that he said and she stopped showering. She shaved off her eyebrows and she followed her teeth down. Her reasoning for doing this is that so she could have a better bite into the animals that they killed during sacrifices. Did they eat they the would, animals? They would kill the animals with their own teeth and then drink the blood of the animals. So not only all these mental illnesses but meth and probably now rabies yes yes okay yes and the mom's still in the house just re just remember that cynthia's in the house the entire time so she probably had her own demons she's you know? the, she's the cool mom <laughs> she she's the one that walks in and she's like does anybody need snacks you know what's snacks, the condom symptoms? yeah the neighbor's cat yeah the neighbor's cat so you can drink its blood do we know so, what kind of animals they were like killing or just whatever um, i assume it was i assume it was probably cats dogs squirrels stuff like that that you could find outside at winston i would assume it wasn't big farm animals that would be a little hard to kill with just your teeth um like cows and whatnot but i'm not gonna lie to you i assume cats are probably big ones and that you know yeah or little wiener dogs holly Ugh. Why, why are you making this personal? <laughs> so one of us, <laughs> we will leave. I will vlog out of this right now. So one of Amber's childhood friends, her name is Katie Davis. And she, I got, so just to put this out there too, I got a lot of my sources and everything online. There's a few podcasts, stories, TV shows, movies about Pazuzu Allegard. But I did a lot of stuff on Wikipedia. There's a lot of personal articles out there. Um, not Wikipedia, sorry, Murderpedia. 
but the friend of Amber Davis, Katie, Kate, Amber, her friend's name is Katie Davis, and she put out a lot of her own stuff as well. Um, so Katie stated that Amber and Pazuzu often bit each other and bit other people so that they could suck their blood. Um, it was 50-50 on whether they would drink water or blood in a day. So Katie also stated that she stepped into Pazuzu's house one time, and because of the awful smell that was coming from the house, she immediately got sick and wasn't able to even stay for more than two minutes. Can you imagine the stench that had to come from it? And when Katie did get sick on Pazuzu's porch, he stated to her, oh, it's okay. It's just the bodies in the basement. Now, this wasn't the first time that Pazuzu had mentioned that. Um, there, are other men there are other times that you will read where multiple friends had, of Pazuzu stated later on that Pazuzu always joked about bodies being in the basement or that the house was just filled with dead bodies. Um, but nobody ever took any charge or action from it because it came from Pazuzu, which... Well, and he didn't shower, so they're like, okay, yeah, whatever. It could just be him. Can't trust you. <laughs> okay, and your teeth look like that? No, thanks. So Katie, the friend, also stated that there's no rules to abide by in this house. Remember that. You could piss on the carpet. You could have orgies. You could smash the TV. You could knock somebody out with a beer bottle. You could throw knives at the wall, defecate on tables. It didn't matter. The only rule that did seem to exist was written on the front door of the house. Now, the front door of the house was painted black. Not surprised. And in red letters, it said, no gang members allowed. Anyone that dresses the same, has a badge, or calls them authority of a land that they did not create has no permission to enter this land unless you're a native. So this is the First Amendment of your fake laws. We see you are guilty until proven innocent. If you can make laws, so can we. I don't know who decided to write that. It wasn't written very well, but it, it the point is there. Um, well, no authority was allowed. He did drop out of high school. <laughs> That's true. He probably couldn't say. That's where he draws the line. Sentences. Like you can you can poop on the carpet, but you like you can't wear a badge. Sorry. Yeah. You can poop on the carpet, but if you have a badge, you are not allowed to come into this property. Unless um, you're native. Unless you're native to the land, which none of these people were because, you know, America. They're all, they're all white, right? Like these, yes. this is white, this is white people activity. This is white people. <laughs> yes, this is straight up. I will say from all the pictures, there was only white people. Uh, I assume only um, white people others would do knew this. better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, only others knew a little bit better. So. Okay, so just a reminder, during this time, Pazuzu's mom, Cynthia, still lived in the house. So the rule Ish. was for her that as long as nobody stepped foot in her bedroom, they she didn't care. Did she also shit on the carpet? I mean, why not? It's a free-for-all. It's a free-for-all. So, so for those who were fortunate enough to leave the residence, mostly said that they couldn't stay inside for long periods. Um, and that in order to stay inside of that residence for hours at a time, they either had to be high on drugs um, or severely drunk because of the stench that came from the house. So Pazuzu would not only entertain his visitors by sacrificing different animals like rabbits and cats, but he would also tend to bite himself and drink his own blood, often passing out from lack of blood. Don't even, don't even understand how that happens. Um, 
the audience would also, because they were all followers of Pazuzu at this time, think of it more of like a religious cult. They would also bite themselves, drink their blood, do the same. So there was not just human feces and urine all over the place, but there was also human and animal blood along with empty bottles, needles, garbage. I mean, it's a shit show, literally. So, oh, and I forgot to mention this. Pazuzu and his mom lived at the house, but so did their five dogs. So not only was it just people living at this house, random people, drugs, meth, biting animals, blood, but there were also five dogs, which as someone of a two dog owner, can you imagine? Wait, so he had pet dogs. Were they off limits to the- Yes, they couldn't. Yeah, I assume they all survived the rituals and the sacrifices. Okay, well, that's- Okay, one redeeming quality, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus one point for Pazuzu. Um, so there were weapons also all over the house. It was very well known that the dishwasher would be a place to store different weapons. Um, but he, not only did he have weapons all over the house, but Pazuzu also went around telling people that he would kill homeless persons for fun. So he continued this by saying that if anybody ever came over to his house, if anybody ever came out of the basement, they're not allowed to leave. And people would just let him say stuff like this and not really care because they were also probably high on drugs or doing, you know, drunk out of their minds. So it wasn't until years later that all of these stories came out because at the time, it, him saying stuff like this would be considered normal. Um, so like he was, all, yeah. So it was mostly understood that when Pazuzu said stuff like, oh, if anyone comes out of the basement, make sure they don't leave the house. His friends just thought he was high on drugs and boosting his like image. Um, so there was a woman who lived with Pazuzu for a month. You know, people came out in and out. This was mostly like a hostel. But Bianca was a woman who lived there for a month. And she heard multiple stories of him killing homeless people and eating them. Um, He also bragged about murdering sex workers, biting into their flesh, and then would burn their bodies in his backyard. But like everyone else, Bianca, the woman, assumed he was lying. She stated this. She said, Pazuzu told everyone, but I never believed him. I'm not sure who else believed him either. He would laugh about the skeletal remains when telling the story of what he did. But we never saw skeleton bodies. We honestly thought he was lying. And now I'm not sure what to believe. So in addition, there are many other stories that came out saying Pazuzu often threatened people too um, and made them dig holes in his backyard for future use. You know, this is just red flags all over the place, people. Like this is, if you ever have someone ask you to dig a hole in their backyard, don't do it unless you know, like you're burying the cat that was the family cat and we're going to do a eulogy and stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah, not sacrificed. No, that's a red flag. Life tip number one, don't dig your own grave. (laughs) At all. At all. So we're going to go in 2009. We're still around the same time. A woman named Sylvia. um, She was a daughter of a preacher. You know, we're still in Winston-Salem and she was very active in her church. Well, she met Pazuzu and she didn't want anything to do with him and her lifestyle, but somehow he convinced her one night to come to his house. Um, He then forced her to watch very, very disturbing homemade porn. Uh, Sylvia noted that in that video, Pazuzu was wearing a bloody bandana the entire time, but she did not know 
that at this time, that bandana had belonged to a man who was missing. So Pazuzu continued to tell Sylvia that he was a gatekeeper to hell. And somehow Pazuzu had never ran into big issues with law enforcement because he was always on his private property. Um, he had been arrested multiple times, but never served any time for big crimes. Um, first, he was convicted of larceny back in 2008, but he only got probation. Then in 2010, Pazuzu was convicted of a misdemeanor assault of his own mother. Um, he apparently had put Cynthia in a chokehold and held her so tightly that she passed out. So then there was another time Pazuzu's fiance, Amber, was accused uh, of slapping and beating Cynthia even further. So it looks like, you know, it at this time, Cynthia looks like Cynthia is getting beat up by everybody in this house, but then not pressing charges. Um, there, there's something, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, you know, like the son was the controller of the two of them. You know, Pazuzu had his mom in some type of hold where him and his friends could do whatever he want, they wanted to her and she wouldn't press charges, you know? And that's very, very sad. So there was, um, he also found his way out of a more serious incident too. At some point in 2010, excuse me, a body was found near the Yadkin River um, by police. This man was named Joseph Chandler, okay? He had been shot to death. Joseph had been shot to death in the exact same area where Pazuzu was well known to go kill and torture animals for his religious sacrifices outside of his home. Um, the Yakin River, shout out to Yakin, right near my parents' house. Not gonna lie to you guys. Um, very good neighborhood and everything. We live in a great place of Winston-Salem, but then again, this was all happening around us and we didn't know at the time until afterwards. So this man had been shot to death, like I had said, it was in the same spot where Pazuzu often killed animals. But however, somehow, Pazuzu was never convicted of killing Joseph, but a guy named Nicholas was. So they did, they did Pazuzu did get in trouble for concealing information about this death and allowing Nicholas, the murder suspect, to stay at his house. So Nicholas was charged and convicted, um, but then again, Pazuzu was released on probation and didn't serve any real time. The same day that Pazuzu was arrested, he underwent a psych evaluation. Um, we love psych evaluations here at Over My Dead Pod because we think that they're super important and every person that is ever brought into the criminal system should be psych evaluated. Um, every, everybody in America should. Every, everyone should. It's it, the, the amount of crimes that happen to people who have psychotic issues is, you know, a 10 out of 10 or a nine out of 10, I would say it, it's very, very common. So going back to getting the psych evaluation, it's not necessarily a standard procedure to send someone to be evaluated so quickly, but authorities had a good reason to assume something was wrong with Pazuzu, yeah, you know, his background. Yeah. And just the way he looked, a psychiatrist in this hospital pre uh, prescribed Ativan to help Pazuzu with his anxiety, but there was no effect whatsoever. He also went under alcohol detoxification and was given medicine um, for his high cholesterol and, and antibiotics. But then again, the same um, diagnosis of the agrophobia, the schizophrenic, the psychosis, they all said that 
it made him a prisoner of his own mind and in his own home. There were also signs of personality disorder, blah, blah, blah. So after the evaluation, it was recommended that mental health and substance abuse treatment should be mandatory of his release. But he immediately went back to his old habits, which we know back in the day, we're still in like 2010. It's not as significant as it is now to where people will be followed up after they leave the court system. Um, Probation, sure, was still happening, but he wasn't getting the treatments that should have been mandatory. Um, So they did write in all of his forms that he often did satanic rituals, but that it was part of his religious belief. So it was a good idea to keep a close eye on him, but he never got in trouble for it. So they actually, the same year, 2010, once he was on probation, the police went and searched Pazuzu's property after a woman named Stacy Carter had been reported by her partner that she was missing. They had heard a rumor that uh, she, that Pazuzu had killed somebody and that the body was um, buried in Pazuzu's house. So at the same time, police also received a tip that a body of a man named Tommy Welsh might also be buried in the same place. So as you see, slowly, one person says something and people start talking. You know, it wasn't that multiple leads were given out at different times. It was stuff started to happen at the same time. So a search warrant was issued in 2010 in February. And the authorities went out to investigate Pazuzu's backyard. So here was an issue. In Winston-Salem, properties are on land. Um, there, some can be huge land, some can be small, but the police did not have the proper equipment to search for buried bodies on this big, this big of a property. It was only a few acres. Um, they couldn't just go in and start blindly digging. That's not really how that works. So hoping to find something, they were going to use imaging devices or radars, but apparently the police did not have access to this. So dogs can be effective like search and sniff dogs but in this case they didn't find anything and it was most likely because there was so much smell of dead animals inside of the house that the dogs were led off their track so at this time investigators left the knob hill house completely empty-handed and then after years of putting up with her son's behavior cynthia decided in 2011 to go to the police so something told her to go to the police And she stated to the police that she had witnessed a murder in her own house. So according to Cynthia, the mother, she had heard a gunshot in the home that she shares with her son, Pazuzu. And when she went to investigate, she saw Pazuzu's fiance, Amber, holding a rifle. Amber was standing next to an unresponsive man laying on a couch. However, just as Cynthia's words were not enough for the police, they needed concrete evidence they asked if they could search the house. Cynthia refused. And so Why? the police just let it go. Why Can you believe she, that? Why would she report it and then not let them in? And then two, why did the cops be like, okay, yeah, it's fine. Personally, I think it's because she would have also gotten in trouble for what was in the house. You know, like there were weapons, there were dead things, there were meth there were needles there were coat you know like all these Mm -hmm. illegal substances and items were inside the house and since she probably owned the house name wise she would get in huge trouble but i i don't yeah it sounds like like she wanted to say something but then wasn't allowed or wasn't able to let them come investigate so 
they let it go. Well, that same year later on, Pazuzu was charged with an assault on another woman. And this time he pled guilty. Um, so still after that, the authorities, after they had heard everything about Pazuzu, he was once again only sentenced to probation. He never got jail time for or prison time for any of his crimes. So his luck finally ran out in 2014. So one of the friends we had spoke about earlier had become suspicious and went to the police and convinced them that the Knob Hill house needed to be thoroughly searched for potential murder victims. In the end, it had taken the authorities five years after five years of reports to actually go and search Pazuzu's home. Even though several people had come to them saying that terrible stuff was going on there, um, people had told the police that there were bodies buried in the backyard. They had witnessed murders and yet Pazuzu was free and on probation this entire time. So it's not only Pazuzu's friends were intimidated by him, but it seems like the police were as well. He had a firm hold on everybody, including his mom. Um, And of course it was very likely that the authorities simply just didn't believe Pazuzu or his friends because of what they looked like, how they acted and the things that they consumed um, on a daily basis, you know, like if a, a, someone on methamphetamine is going to tell you crazy stories, there's a chance you may not listen to them. Yeah. Just very simple. So on October 5th, 2014, officers arrived at 2749 Nob Hill Drive together with the State Bureau of Investigation, medical examiners, and a forensic anthropology team. They began to go through the backyard, which was absolutely covered in filth made the search very difficult, but it was very easy to see where the ground had been disturbed for Pazuzu did not cover up any of his crimes. So easy, in fact, that you can see the location clearly in pictures taken from Pazuzu's backyard during the search years before. Yet, 2010, the police somehow had missed shallow graves that were next to the fire pit. But remember, we're now in 2014, And around this time, they discovered two sets of human remains in the backyard, addition to hundreds of animal corpses. Um, 35-year-old Pazuzu Allegard and his fiancee, 24-year-old Amber Birch, remember she was a child when she first met Pazuzu, were arrested immediately after the discovery of bodies in the backyard, and they were each charged with one count of murder and one count of accessory after the fact. So... Shortly after that arrest, the second fiance, Crystal Madlock, was charged in connection with the death of one person whose body was found. So two bodies were identified on October 13th, and they were Joshua Frederick Wetzler and Tommy Dean Welch. Both had gone missing in 2009, and both had been stated earlier on in the story as persons missing and in potentially Pazuzu's backyard. They believe that Joshua was killed in the summer of 2009, and Tommy was in October of 2009. Both of the men had died from gunshot wounds. Joshua had been shot at least seven times with a 22 caliber rifle, three times in his head, four times in his torso. Tommy had also been shot at least once to the back of his head and it, while he was sitting on a couch in Pazuzu's home. This is the murder that Cynthia saw. All of the details are not known, but allegedly, Pazuzu killed both the men, hid the bodies in his basements before burying them in the backyard with his fiance's help. It's alleged that Amber, one of the fiancés, had shot Tommy, like Cynthia had said to the police, 
but they both participated in the burial of the body. So the way that he got rid of the bodies, Pazuzu used bleach and cat litter on the bodies while they were in the basement to hide the smell. And even though it was not really necessary considering the condition of the house, he still did it. You know, like people said the smell was bad anyways. You know, cat litter ain't gonna gonna do much. Yeah, it ain't gonna do much. Um, So after the discovery of one of the men's remains, Joshua, his mother said in an interview, I'm not really sure how to feel. I'm kind of numb. I want to know why he did that. Speaking of Pazuzu. And I'm not sure I'll ever get the answer. And that's the thing. Nobody really knew why Pazuzu did what he did to these two men to kill them. The media surely wanted to paint this picture of like they had been killed in a ritual sacrifice. And, you know, this demon like person, Pazuzu, was uh, a, a, a demon, you know. And so in this God fearing community, it was easy to picture and point to Pazuzu like that. You know, the media frenzy went out and said people have realized that sex and violence sells and that it's learned it's leaned into the media so much that these facts are obscured. Um, there's certainly a lot of elements of an adult nature. Some outlets called it a sex cult, but it wasn't a sex cult. It was a bunch of people living in a dirty house. It was a bunch of girls that were being abused to the point that they abused others because they were left in a dirty house with a lot of drugs. They were hit. They were threatened. And it's easier to say, oh, look at the brides of Satan than it is to point at the misogyny and the disregard of these poor people. You know, people who went into this house were already such on bad terms in their life that going into this house and seeing other people that were similar made it much easier. So many just seem to forget that this man, Pazuzu, was mentally ill Um, in his head, Pazuzu really believed that he could have been a demon who gained power through sacrifice and that sacrificing animals to humans made him more powerful. So there's always the chance that these two men found in his backyard were sacrificed. Um, but the fact that they were shot makes people think otherwise. Um, so were they like completely random people he just stumbled upon or like, did they come to the house? We don't know. And so that's where the issue is and why I wanted to kind of give you guys a disclaimer at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the story is that this story is more about the murderer um, and his life than it is the victims. Unfortunately, we don't have much background on the victims or how they got to his backyard. Mm -hmm. Um, We just know that it happened. So in the course of Pazuzu's life, there were many possibilities for him to get help and it never happened. More than once he was convicted and was just placed on probation. He was never monitored, never given a treatment plan. Um, And people say that there was a lack of resources in the criminal justice system, which I know all three of us can definitely relate and protest towards this is, you know, for all the listeners out there, uh, we all went, we went to law school, Holly, Holly, Holly and Kylie graduated now have taken the bar and will eventually go on to be attorneys. And we understand how bad the criminal justice system is um, and what needs to change in it. But imagine 10 years ago, we were not in law 10 years ago, like we are now. Um, Mm -hmm. So thinking of to this day, you know, at some point, having worked in probation before federal probation, mental health is still so hard to help people with. 
um, there aren't right resources with the government. And it doesn't seem like it's even a mandatory thing at this point. Well, it's hard also just the lack of resources. And then also, obviously, because of the mental health issues, these people don't want to seek treatment. No, because if you ask them and make it voluntarily and not mandatory, why would they want to? Yeah. You know, if, if you say, hey, do you want a psych evaluation? Someone with psych issues could be like, no, I'm not crazy. You know, that's just how it is. It should be, I personally think it should be mandatory, um, which is something we're still trying to push in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're, if you're doing mandatory drug tests, let's do mandatory psych evals. Yep, absolutely. So because nobody was able to intervene early enough in Pazuzu's life, at some point, Pazuzu crossed paths with Joshua and Tommy, the two victims. So it's unclear how these two men had found their way into Pazuzu's house of horror. Um, Joshua was a father, and he had began building a farmhouse with his family and have horses. And this was their dream is to live on this ranch. But after having financial issues and losing his job, Joshua had drifted into the wrong group and began selling drugs. So that is where we think Joshua met Pazuzu at some point was through the drug issues. So in there is a, I believe it's on Netflix and I watched it a while back and I didn't watch it before doing the story and I really should have, but there is a show on Netflix called The Devil You Know, and that is about Pazuzu. Um, so I definitely recommend that for those after listening to this to go and watch because it was fan- it was fantastic. But in The Devil You Know, Cynthia, the mom, says that Joshua was one of the souls that found his way into the house. Um, She said they were just friends as far as I knew. They liked to sing music. Uh, Joshua didn't have any place to stay. They turned off his heat or something. And so he offered Pazuzu to let him sleep on the couch. I didn't have a problem with it. And I enjoyed that Pazuzu and Joshua were friends. So it now comes back to us that Joshua was known to be in the house. You know, at some point he got there, it most likely was because he was selling the drugs. Um, but he stayed and at some point was murdered. Um, and, but we don't know the circumstances around that. The second well, I'm just then, thinking about like all the people that would have come through there. Like if you were a like transient person, like, and it was either be homeless or, here's like a house you can just crash at um a lot of like probably sex workers and stuff too I mean I don't know but seems like probably a lot of traffic through there absolutely and the second person Tommy who also died his death was also a mystery and this one's probably a little more so but Tommy lived in North Carolina um and planned on having a pizza night with his family And never made it to the pizza night. And so that was the day that his family knew for years to come that Tommy had gone missing. Um, Even though now they have an answer to that, that he was found murdered in Pazuzu's backyard, they still don't know why. Um, But nevertheless, in 2017, one of the fiancés, Amber Birch of Pazuzu, pled guilty to the death of Tommy Welch. Um, And that was after the first death of Joshua, um, she had also pled guilty to. So it seems that Amber was found guilty for both of the murders, um, but was an accessory to the fact. 
So Pazuzu was charged. She was, but Amber was sentenced to a minimum of 30 years and eight months and had a maximum of 39 years. A few months later in 2017, Crystal, another one, pled guilty to conspiracy of accessory after the fact um, to first degree murders for her role in Joshua's death. She was sentenced to a minimum of three years and a maximum of four years. That's it. That's it. Crystal did apologize to the victim's families saying that she would have come forward earlier, but she was too scared to do so. Um, But unlike his fiance's, Pazuzu never appeared in court. On October 28, 2015, almost exactly one year after the discovery of the bodies at his own house, Pazuzu was found unresponsive inside of his cell with a wound on his arm. Pazuzu was pronounced dead soon after. His reign of terror might have ended there, but the questions did not. With police withholding most of the details of Pazuzu's death, the public can only guess what happened to him. We don't know how Pazuzu died exactly or if there are any weapons inside of his cell, but many speculate even to this day that Pazuzu bled to death from a deep cut on his arm caused by his teeth. He did not need a separate weapon to commit suicide for he already had blades inside of his mouth. So some people interviewed in the show, The Devil You Know, were not entirely sure that Pazuzu had really taken his life. Some people said that at the very least, what happened shouldn't have. Whatever sharp objects were used, the fact that this guy died and that there's such a vague conference about it is frightening. That's the real horror. Of course, Pazuzu and Amber actually shot and killed these people, but there are many points where people could have intervened. As a community, we messed up. As police, they messed up. We should have checked on the weird kid a little bit more, and we should hold our police with a little bit more accountability. So during this investigation, authorities released a nine-minute video of the Clemens House of Horrors on Knob Hill Drive and showed its disturbing condition to the police. Needless to say, people were even more convinced that Pazuzu really did practice demonic rituals inside of his home. That alone caused the residents of the area of Winston-Salem to want to get rid of the entire building. So in... uh, At 2749 Knob Hill Drive, Winston-Salem, the house was destroyed in 2015, six months before Pazuzu committed suicide. Even though nothing is left of Pazuzu and his house of horrors, his bizarre case continues to shock people. In the end, too many things were handled poorly, and so many things could have been done differently to prevent multiple lives from being destroyed. Pazuzu Allegard's story is not to just be about a crazy man who wanted to be a demon but a good example of why mental illness has to be taken seriously and giving help to people who suffer from mental illnesses should be paramount. And that is the case of Pazuzu Allegard, AKA John Alexander Lawson, my hometown murder of Winston-Salem, North Carolina.